Welcome to the Road Bogues podcast, where you got two miserable fucks, Andrew Bogut and Mike Procopio, speaking to a bunch of other miserable fucks that love listening to two morons talk about the game of basketball. Enough of my lisping. I got to eat. Let's go to work. What do you got, Bogues? Setting the bar low. We're not, we're not that silly. We've got, got a lot. I got a lot right, man. I got a lot right lately, so I'm going to pat myself on the back. Um, but man, they, they, these you finals. You never pat yourself on the back. You never, never pat yourself on the back. Never. Right. Ever. You can't reach your back, so that's a separate issue. But oh, um, let's be honest, man. These finals, pro, have been fantastic. Um, just I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the back and forth, the chess games. Um, it's been what you expect. Uh, with the finals, I think last finals were similar, um, Phoenix Milwaukee, but before that, it was kind of you know washed one way or the other. Um, with the, the infamous Cleveland Golden State series, is was what three three years in a row, and then the Toronto Golden State series kind of imploded with injury. It's nice to see these close series, bro. Well, you know what, my favorite part of the series is watching 27 assistant coaches on the bench that won't shut the fuck up when they're up 20 you know, given all suggestions and shit. And then you look at them when they're down 20. Frozen. And they're as quiet as a <laughs> foreign church with nothing to fucking say. All that fucking energy uh, you have when you're up 20, now you got no fucking suggestions. All right? Mm. That's my favorite part of the series. Oh, no, what, seriously, though. What else has been funny is Joe Lacob last game, I don't know if you noticed, the owner of the Warriors was sitting two seats from Steve Kerr kind of in the fan seats but like on, towards the scorer's table and you could kind of see his reaction to every shot. That, like say if the Warriors took a bad shot, you'd see his reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every possession, he's got his arms in the air, he's shaking his head. It was kind of – I noticed that on the telecast. I'm like, is that Joe Laker? There it is, Joe Laker, Bob Myers. He's he's not too happy well, every position. Celtics are on the other side. Wick Grosbeck, uh, they used to sit on the baseline. Now he sits – and again, I don't know if they had to like swap out tickets or whatever, but like now they're like four seats off the scores table. It's 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 interesting because I've never seen it before. But uh, yeah, maybe it's a new thing. I feel like you have to be so stoic as an owner or a GM if you're sitting right in the limelight. Like, because I think, you know, with all this clickbait bullshit, there's so many people that would look into any reaction you make. Like, yeah. oh, you know, he's shaking his head at that shot by that player. He, you know, he's, he's reacted poorly to that player's play for the whole game. They're going to trade him, you know, like just, just you know, these idiots that write these stupid articles. No so doubt. I feel like you sit there, and I've done it in the City Kings games. Like, I try not to, to get too up and down. I definitely celebrated the championship, but because you, you're like, there's eyes on you and people are going to overthink the good and the bad, right? So you're just like, oh, do I just kind of sit more still? Like, Barmer's kind of got it right. You know, he, he's, he's, goes real hard on the positives and just kind of sits there angrily with the negatives. But um, it's always interesting just from, from a human um, psychological point of view of, of the do's and don'ts if you if you are that person and everyone does it differently, but it's um, it's been notable to watch. Uh, Folks, when, when you sit, when you sit like as an owner now, like do you, do you, I know you just said you don't have a lot of reaction. So like you, you don't really have much reaction, good, bad, or indifferent. You just sort of stay the same with, you know, the flow of the game or you get into it. And um, I don't. Like, I'm fucking – I'm expressionless. Like, even Cuban would give me shit. I remember a game against Minnesota, Milwaukee 
it was like one point game. He's going nuts. Stadium's going nuts. And here I am fucking like nothing. Like I just, I, I don't know, man. I, I just not into it like that. I just sort of, he goes, what the, he goes, well, you don't, you're not into this game. I go, you don't really pay me to be into the game. You just pay me to get these young guys better. I'm just enjoying the game. Just sort of watching. I, but I'm not Mr. Like, I'm not Mr. Like up in arms about every, every basket or missed call. How are you with that stuff? In between, like I'll try to, try to, you know, if the refs are right on the baseline and I try to talk a little bit and be like, hey, that's three seconds, that kind of stuff. But I'm not over the top. I don't, I don't think I could be wrong. Could be a perception of myself, right? But I, I, I definitely, you know, if there's a, a big play late in the fourth or a big stop, I'll, I'll, you know, fist pump, get up, clap my hands, but that's about it. But my, my co-owner, Paul Smith, he, he, you know, he'll he'll turn to the fans and and um, beat his chest, kind of King Kong style, and he really gets <laughs> yeah. into it. Like, and then, but then on the lows, you really you can really tell he's down. So <laughs> he's right. he's up and down. I get on him a little bit about it, but you love that passion. I'm kind of in between. I pick my spots. Um, sure. You know, if it's if a blatantly stupid play, I'll try not to overreact, but be like, come on, you know, like what are we doing? And then move on to the next one rather than just being patty the whole time or happy the whole time. Like I try to mix it up a little bit, but everyone's different. It's just I just. You know, just a note for the fans out there that follow games. It's um, just an interesting thing to observe and watch. And I know Joe Lager was sitting right there, so it was just something I noticed. But let's get let's get rolling with the NBA Finals. Um, let's do it, both. We're going to do each game. So we uh, we did game one last week. The game two wrap, uh, noticeable ad- adjustments. Boston obviously winning game one. We spoke about that. Um, this was one hundred seven eighty eight. It finished. Uh, there was there was noticeable adjustments, especially from from you know the, the Golden State Warriors. I think Boston didn't have to make too many adjustments because the way it works is you you know you won game one. You don't want to change too much of what you're doing. You're going to see, you know, how the team that lost is going to react. That's how these series work: the back and forth, the chess. But um, some noticeable ones for for Golden State was the physicality. Uh, they were they came out, you know glaringly physical probably you know some people said over the top some people said borderline fouls was what it was what some were called some weren't the big one pro was they they gave Al Horford no space in this game um you know in in game one six for eight from three for Al Horford Draymond roamed off him a lot you know Draymond's one of the best help defenders in the league very high basketball IQ he probably you know outsmarted himself in game one I think he was leaving Al way too much trying to overhelp and you know, at times Golden State don't have the best defenders out there on the perimeter and Paul. Steph's gotten much better, but Paul's a guy that's glaring at times. So I think, you know, going to game two, they said, we're going to get up and in Al. And, and what this did is, yes, it took away his feet set threes, but it also messed up their sets. Um, Boston really got pushed out of all their offense. Uh, what I mean by that is Draymond, Looney, whoever was guarding Horford was up and in Al Horford. They're like, hey, we're going to make you drive by us and lay it up and you're mid, mid to late 30s, if you can do that and beat us, great. And, and now I can't do that at this point. You know, he's either a pump fake straight line drive, but he's not going to, you know, release contact when you're up and him, spin, cross you over. That's not his game. So what that then did was it pushed our Horford kind of up the floor towards half court. Those handoffs were... Were, were janky like they were making our bubble the ball they were getting a piece of it it was a kind of clunky handoff and then all of a sudden Tatum or Brown get it off the handoff they're pushed up the floor so that was a great adjustment by the Warriors um, they did a really good job of that I noticed that and, and, and Boston really had no answers in game two at least um, 
Lau finished that game with two points and no threes attempted, period, pro. So that was a massive, massive adjustment. He killed them in game one. So obviously Draymond Green was a, was a physical part of, of, of what they were doing. He was getting into it. Uh, the double technical was spoken about, as we know, but he was, you know, his stats weren't uh, weren't huge in this game. He was at nine, seven, and five, but I think... I think this was his best game of the series, in my opinion, um, which which is a low bar, right? He hasn't played well in this finals, but that was his best game was game two. And it was more from the point of he came out with that bulldog mentality, I'm going to start some shit, I'm going to wrestle, I'm going to get in your head, I'm going to talk, I'm going to bark, and and they ended up evening it 1-1. Warriors being the three-quarter specialist that they are, 35-14 to um, in the third quarter to to blow out a final score of, of, you know, winning by 19. Tatum, 28 points on on decent clips, but a glaring minus 36 on the plus minus pro. You don't see that very often in a finals game. Um, Brown wasn't very good in game two, five for 17 for 17 points. There was no rather help for the Celtics. They struggled to score um, and it was a blowout. So it was one of those games that just went that way. For the Warriors, Steph had 29. Poole with 17 with the two top scorers. Draymond obviously nine, seven and five. Clay continued to struggle in game two. Um, he had 11 on four for 19 shooting. And Kevon Looney was great as well. He was 12, uh, 12.7 rebounds on six for six shooting. But they were kind of my big noticeables adjustment-wise in that game. Give me, give me your feel for what you thought went down in game two. No, I agree. I mean, they were definitely more physical. And, and Draymond's, you know, as fucked up as he is during the series, like he needed to do what he did, you know, Rodman style. You know, he's not Dennis Rodman. He's a lot different, but like, he needed to be that sort of physical, cheap shot artist in a way, like just being physical, basically. And, you know, and they needed to do that. And, and Horford was a big problem for them game one. And the adjustments they made on him, not giving him space was, it was you know, obviously it, it paid a big dividend for them. And, you know, look, it's it's just you got to you, you got to adjust. These are this is what the finals are for. You got to adjust every game. You're gonna get your ass kicked sometimes. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't kill yourself about it. You just get to the film. You make those adjustments. I thought Looney was huge. I, I've got over this series. You know, I've got a well throughout the whole playoffs. I've got a different type of respect for Looney's game. Look, he's not Bill Russell or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but he's somebody who you know. It's funny that trying to like make the game positionless, no centers, but. It's funny how size and offensive rebounding it really, you know, you need that to even have a chance to win, even though the Celtics are much bigger and stronger than they are, you know, with the glass and things. Looney just made a huge, you know, like seven rebounds, 12 points, just knows his role. And really, he's a huge factor for him. He's not going to score 25 He's not going to score 30. He's not going to be a go-to guy, but he's going to clean up a lot of stuff. He's going to be there when they put two on the ball and, you know, Clay or Steph or, or Draymond has to make a quick play, drop down to him, and he'll make a play. I, I think he's been great. Um, you know, but Boston, look, like Tatum, you know, Tatum, minus 36 was weird. I'm not a big plus minus guy. We've talked about it countless times, but I didn't even notice that until I saw the thing. But um, I thought he's played relatively well. I, I, I just thought Golden State put got Boston out of all this sets. They got, they, they made them uncomfortable and that's what you got to do when the game gets down and dirty like that. You gotta, you know, you gotta come back with something. And I think that their game plan was look, be physical, be up on everything, you know, don't let Al have any space. And, 
know, you definitely can't let, look, if you're going to have Brown and Tatum go off, that's one thing, but you can't have those two guys go off as well as a Horford, as well as a smart, you know, so you got to really keep those guys in check the best you can. So yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was good planning by them and they came out and they did what they had to do. And the other thing about Looney, just finishing on that, uh, he's very underrated in the one through one through five switch. People don't really notice that as much because it doesn't show up on a stat sheet. So when they go to the one, the, the switching lineup, where you basically what I mean by that is for those that are new to this, is you know uh, Looney's guarding Horford, goes to the ball screen on Tatum. They just switch it. Looney ends up on on Tatum. He does great jobs handling those guards, and he's not the most athletic guy, like you said. He's not Bill Russell. He's not you know. Anthony Davis as far as athleticism, but he's just solid and he's long and he doesn't move eloquently pro. Like he doesn't move like he's this athletic prowess, you know, prowess, right? Um, but he just, he's smart. He's very, very long and he just recovers to a lot of stuff. And, and I remember when I when I was still with the Warriors, when we played Houston, he did a phenomenal job on the one through fives guarding uh, Harden. And we're just like, whoa, like we didn't know this guy had this, you know? So... Um, he's very, very, you know, underrated in that in, the, in that aspect, and and he's, you know, like you said with the bigs, I think the the, the Celtics, which we'll get to in a sec, have, have done a really good job beating up the Warriors. But I think it's made the Warriors not be able to play Draymond Green at the five for stretches, just because they they need Looney out there, and Looney's Looney's been fantastic. So I totally agree. But we move on from game two to game three. I texted you and a few other people. I was talking about this and. I even did a video about it on Instagram. I, I think most people with a with a half basketball brain knew the adjustments would be made not by the teams, <laughs> by the officials. So between game two and three, there was a lot of talk about Draymond Green's double technical. Should he have been thrown out? Why do they keep him in the game? Was he protected? Uh, the foul, the fouling and physicality was it over the line? Should there have been fouls? This was getting drummed up, drummed up, drummed up. So much so as Udoka made comments on it, which he has to do strategically. Um, it was getting riled up the national media. So you, you knew this was a talking point every minute of the day for the next two, three days between the games, right? So you just knew the referees were going to come out and they were going to referee this game very, very tightly from the jump. You just knew it, right? And the, the, so much so as it came, came perfectly true. The Warriors had put Boston in the bonus with seven minutes left in the first quarter. So that means the Warriors had already fouled five times and put the Boston in the bonus. Draymond had two early. Um, what, I, what usually happens in these playoff series and final series, when that happens, usually your team will, will kind of come together at quarter time. You adapt. You're like, hey, they're calling it tight. We need to adapt. But for the Warriors, it didn't happen this game. They didn't adapt. They kept they kept on fouling. And I thought Boston did a great job of, of breaking that pressure, which I thought they would do by ripping through and just trying to get to the basket. And whenever they did, they'd either have a layup or they would um, get to the free throw line and – uh, so, so, so Draymond goes goes to the, to the bench pretty early as well. The Celtics adjustment, they, they moved Al from when he was in that trail position in game one and he was going into handoffs and free-flowing. As we know, game two, they took him out of that. So now all of a sudden, they, they, they noticeably had Al and their bigs make quick decisions in the trail. So it's either Al gets at the top of the key, swings it for a ball screen, or goes to a handoff quickly, hands it off, and just gets out of there. So much so they even had Al just get the hell out of the way. They moved Al, Al Horford to the corner for stretches, and this this did a fantastic job of keeping Draymond Green guessing. So he he you know he's been hit by Al going six for eight in the first game. That's in Draymond's head. 
So you put you put Al Horford in that corner. And what's the NBA rule, bro? With with corner three point shooters, it's generally you don't leave, stay at home at all costs. So that means it's four and four for everyone else. What does that do to Draymond? Takes away from what he's trying to do. He, he's a quarterback of the defense. He wants to help teammates. And now he's like, shit, can I go help? Can I not? I'm stuck in two minds. And I think that was huge. And it was noticeable. Um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they turned the corner from the perimeter when this was happening. It was a layup and a dunk, um, which we haven't seen early in the se- series because Draymond can't leave Al Horford. He's being punished by it. So I thought that was a great adjustment by Odoka. He, you know, that they really got Al Horford out of those actions quickly. He wasn't stuck with the ball. And if he did happen to get held up a little bit by some pressure, he'd get rid of it and he would just dive, short roll, and then find his way to the corner. So that was a great adjustment by Odoka. Um, Final quarter of 23 to 11 for the Celtics cat the game. The Warriors dried up immensely offensively late in that game. They just couldn't get any flow, couldn't score any easy baskets, just even take some pressure off. Felt like every one of their possessions was a home run three to get back in the game and try to inch back and it just wasn't working. Uh, One thing I really noticed this game was the size, strength and athleticism of the younger Celtics. Um, It was very noticeable in this game and they, they did a fantastic job of smart up and in Steph. Um, <clears throat> Clay's not really getting a whole lot. And, and you know, Clay's 6'6", six, 6'7", six, 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 When he comes off these pin downs against most teams, even if you're trailing him, he gets off a good shot. What I've noticed in this one is he's got Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum trailing him. Much harder shot to get off. Uh, much harder shot. And they, they do a fantastic job of chasing over screens. I know the commentators were talking about, at least in game three, why aren't the bigs up? Why aren't the bigs up up to touch? Because I think they have so much confidence uh, with with those guards just chasing over. And, and it's a tough shot. A rear, a rear contest from a Tatum or a Brown is a tough shot to make, man. They're long and athletic and it's not it's not a smaller guy. So they do a, a good job of that. Um, what do we have here? Uh, statistically, Steph had 31. Clay found his stroke in the third quarter. Uh, to finish with 25. So I think he, you know, he shot the ball better in that second half and kept him in the game, but they, they ended up drying up. But that was, I think that's more, even though they didn't win that game, I think that's an important step for Clay in the whole grand plan of the series because, you know, he hasn't played well at all. Uh, Draymond was, was bad. He, he even self reflected on this himself and said he was horrible. He fouled out with two points. So he was out of the game. For the Celtics, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown were big. Um, 27, 9, and 5 for Brown on, on great clips and 24, 7, and 5 for Smart. Tatum, 26 on very poor shooting clips. But one other thing, you mentioned, Pro, the big lineup. I, I call it the AA lineup, um, not Alcoholics Anonymous, but the anti-analytics lineup. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, been a, it's been a problem for, for Golden State, and it's been proven to work for Boston. They, they've stayed big with Williams and Horford. Now, Pro, this is not allowed in today's NBA. You cannot play two big guys together at the same time. Analytics say it's horrible, especially yeah. against the Golden State Warriors. You cannot do yeah. that against them and win, and they've done it twice, wow. which, which has been really, really good. Um, but Williams has caused all kinds of problems. In game three, he had four blocks and three steals, obviously rebounded well, but they beat the shit out of the Warriors on the boards, 47 to 31. So I'm... I'm that, that AA is my turn, the analytics lineup. We'll see if it rings true, but I've, I've, I've been happy to kind of see it, the chess game of, of, of this series back and forth, but seeing Udoka say, hey, this is, this is our good lineup that's got us here. I'm not just going to throw this out of the way because what happens when Golden State usually goes small pro, that every team, 2019, 28 teams out of the league are going to go small to match them. 
Well, Odoka said, I'm going to stay big and it's actually worked pro, but uh, that's kind of my, my take on game three. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, everything you said was, was spot on, especially with the adjustments and things. Look, I think the difference maker, the main difference maker, in my opinion, for the Boston Celtics is Robert Williams. When Robert Williams is on the floor, every fucking, he's at every shot. He's fucking all over the place. Not much of an offensive threat, obviously, but I mean, running the floor, knowing his role, finishing at the rim, blocking shots, rebounding, you know, can switch, you know, makes guys' lives miserable because that activity and his ability to just impact the game defensively. And they got him four years at like $48 million in the next four years. They got him on a fucking bargain. Bargain. And yeah, and like... You know, look, all these analytics guys, and I do believe that some of the stuff that the analytics people give us in the game, you know, uh, as far as the values of, of certain shots versus the lack of value of certain tougher shots in the two-point mid-range realm, I sort of get it. But it's funny how those guys, like, hate big guys for the most part. But yet, you to be a finals team, you need a big – you know, two things that they hate, bigs and bigs and fucking mid-range shots. And what does every championship team have? A dominating mid-range scorer and fucking bigs, big lineups that they could offensive rebound and, and, and play defense. And that's what they do. And, and you know, you know, look, I think Adoka is a star in this game. I, you know, as far as a coach, we talked about it before the a podcast. I think he's, you know, I think he's going to be a, a $10 million a year coach. I don't give, I don't give a fuck if they won 10 games or a championship team, the way he handles his team, the way his presence, you could just tell he never really gets rattled. He's got, you know, he doesn't fucking back down from anyone. I give him all the credit in the world. And I think that that size and strength and not just going with every other NBA team does really made a difference in the game. Look, it's not going to work in every situation, but he figured out like, look, in this situation, let's just go bigger. It's going to fuck them up. You know, what are they going to do? They're going to go keep going small. We'll punish them when the offensive glass will punish them, you know, playing up on the ball, being able to get to, you know, get to Clay Thompson shots and Steph shots. We'll rough them up a little bit. And I thought that, I thought that Draymond got a little fucked up this game. It got out of his head, you know, like I think there's a difference between systematically knowing when to chirp at refs and get under their skin and then lose your shit. And look, I don't know. I'm not him. I'm not next to him in the locker room. I don't know. But it just seemed like this game, really, he got unhinged. And, he, you know, look, for them to win, he's going to have to be – he's going to have to be at 110%. He can't – you can't get 40% of that dude because 40% of that guy is useless to have on the floor. you got to have that guy at full strength and mental full strength too. Can't let bad calls or – lack of calls or what have you fuck you up. And I, I thought it did. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, he's got to get better with that. And look, Boston, you know, I don't know. It was just an interesting game. And, and Boston just did their thing. Tatum didn't have a great game, although I do respect Tatum a lot more. Um, look, I was really hard on him early in the year, you know, for good reason. And, uh, you know, still not, not a great player to watch, in my opinion, but like not as a great player, period, just a great player to watch. You know, just because he takes so many tough shots, but he's done a lot more as a playmaker. He's done a lot more getting off the ball a little bit, and then he's been able to take over games when needed. But uh, 
yeah, I thought those guys played well. They, I, I love the big lineup, and I love that AA deal for you. I think you should trademark that shit. <laughs> I have all these analytics, and Martina is coming after the podcast. But uh... and by hey, by the way, there's a reason why MIT, Harvard, or Yale are never in the final fucking four. <laughs> all right, uh, that's a reason. So, that's yeah, a fair. They're, they're, that's a fair. Yeah. A couple of nice. Hey, look, you could have a couple of nice theories, books, and podcasts, but let's be honest. Mm, yeah, you know a little bit about the game, but stick to what you're good at. Just hey, stay in your dungeon. All right. Put the slip the report. The guy will come to your door, knock on your cage, slip the fucking report under the door. They'll bring it to the head coach and leave it the fuck alone. That's it. There is a there is a place for it, but I agree. I think it's it's very important to have a good balance. This this game ended up finishing 116 to 100. And we go off to game four. So I think I, I was thinking about what the Warriors would do here. Uh, I, I come to the conclusion of a lineup change. Guess this one right. I pat myself on the back again. I thought that they would uh, bring in Otto Porter um, at the four. It was just something I threw out there because I just thought his length and size, you could kind of play him at the four. Moved Draymond to the five and um, Looney to the bench. And it came true. This is what they did. I believe this change pro was not because of Looney's play, but Draymond Green's. Um, Van Gundy mentioned it a little on telecast. I totally agree with him. I think they were trying to trying to move the uh, Draymond to the five to try and unlock Draymond, try and get him playing well and confident and, and, and back to where the Draymond they need to win a championship. So I don't think the lineup really was a, you know, Looney, you're playing bad, we're going to bench you. It was trying to free that up a little bit, just trying to change things up, the lineups. This lineup didn't move the needle for the Warriors. They were down early with it, to be um, exact. So it, it didn't really do much. It didn't really do much to unlock Draymond offensively. Um, Otto, only, Otto Porter only played 14 total minutes. He started both halves and played a little bit of spot minutes between there. But Looney was subbed in early in both of these. Um, so it didn't – I mean, you can argue did it change anything. I don't think so. Not in this game anyway. Um, what changed in this game was Steph motherfucking Curry. I mean – 43 points and 10 rebounds on fantastic clips. Um, you know, he solidified himself as an all-time great with that performance. But just just a tremendous competitor and, and his knack for making tough shots just to keep his team alive a next level. Um, he, you know, he, he, he does get some flack at times. They say, oh, he disappeared in game three. Where was he? But, you know, this game was, was him. This game was him. And, and we can talk about adjustments. We can talk about you know, what was the chess piece, the lineup change. To be honest, Pro, the adjustment was Steph Curry in this game. That's it. There was you can do whatever you whatever else you want to do, adjustment wise, defensive schemes, you can zone, you can press. I don't give a shit. I had Steph Curry. That was a difference. Nothing that Steve Kerr did, nothing that anyone else did really moved the needle. Steph when Steph's in this kind of flow and state, uh, everything goes out the window. And I think he was huge. Um obviously Clay wasn't great again with his clips, but he had a huge three late. And one thing I will note for his fourth quarter defensively was back to back to the old Clay we knew. Um, staying in front of Jalen Brown, staying in front of Tatum, contesting, caused some turnovers, caused some bobbled balls that went out of bounds. His def- defensive effort that fourth quarter was was what we you know once knew of Clay pre injury, right? And he showed that in that fourth quarter, and he hit that big three. So as I said in game three, when he <clears throat> made some shots in that third quarter and came into a little bit of a groove. He's starting to find it a little bit. And what's dangerous for me with Boston is 
Clay hasn't played really what if you ask him, he hasn't had a game this series where he's felt like he's finished the game with like that was Clay Thompson performance. He hasn't had one yet, and they're two two. So that's a dangerous sign. Andrew Wiggins, phenomenal this game. Phenomenal series, I believe. Playoffs is, in general, he's been awesome. Timely offensive boards in this one, Pro, to keep him alive. Where Boston were up six, they were up eight, they were up three. He would get an offensive rebound and kick it out or, or tip it in. Very, very big plays that were underrated that probably aren't spoken about enough. I mean, everyone talks about his 16 rebounds, but he, he had some key baskets, second chance points for them at numerous phases that kept him alive. Looney, huge again. Um, go back to the plus minus again, Pro, but he was a plus, plus minus of 21 off the bench, game high, six points, 11 rebounds. So I think he's, you know, we've already spoken about his understated value with the um, with the Warriors lineups, and I think they've, you know, been very very blessed to have someone like that in their lineup at times. Warriors found some other lineups. Um, DG Draymond went to the bench in the fourth, and it really worked well for him. They found some different kinds of lineups, so I think they might try that a little bit more. Um, but like I said, I, I think those lineups were minuscule compared to to what um, what. Steph Curry did. Um, Draymond struggles throughout the game, but I think he had some big contributions in the fourth quarter when he came back for that second stint. He finally was crashing the O board um, and getting second chance points for him. So I think, you know, for the most part, um, he just looks shook offensively, bro. Like he's, he's game three and four. He looks shook. I think at times he needs to be more paint focused. I think he's floating on the perimeter way too much. They're not guarding him at all, they're disrespecting him. So, I would punish that by getting down in the dunker at times because then, you know, you can't roam off a guy. The dunker spot for everyone listening is kind of the short corner. So, you know, just just under behind the backboards, standing in those realms. It's not a huge strength of Draymond's, but I think if you've got guys roaming off you constantly, um, that's where you can punish them and get offensive rebound positioning and set some flare screens and, and even sprint up to a pick and roll out of that position. I think that's what he needs to do. Just get some easy baskets, get to the free throw line, um, that kind of stuff, but he needs to. He definitely needs to fix those offensive woes because they're going to have to make a tough decision um, at times. So we'll see if he does that. Um, but the Celtics, Tatum, 23, 11, and 6, but once again, horrid clips, uh, 8 for 23 with 6 turnovers pro. So a decent line when you look quickly, but when you read into it, probably not the best performance um, as far as winning basketball. Williams was once again solid for the the Celtics at the defensive end primarily. Brown and Smart, 21 and 18 respectively. But once again, not great clips. That was that was my wrap for, for game four, Pro. But I mean, 2-2-2, two, 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 what a series. We're going back to the Bay. What did you see in game four? I just thought it was the turnovers that killed Boston. I'll tell you what, folks, like all game, like it's it's just one of those things where you just said, I don't think, I don't think Golden State has enough, right? Like every run they made, Boston just fucking countered it. Like, you know, they scored, fucking Tatum scored. You know, they scored. Marcus Smart just came back and scored. Robert Williams tip in, whatever. Like, they just were able to make plays and just counter anything that, that Golden State had, in my opinion. So I thought the game was going to get out of hand. And that all of a sudden, fucking Steph Curry, man. Iconic, you know, performance and being able to get back in the game. But I think that like Boston was a little lackadaisical with the ball at the end, turnovers, bad shots, and instead of just like, you know, just, I mean, there was no one that really took over the game for them. Look, Tatum, eight for 23, Smart, seven for 18, Jalen 
Brown's nine for 19. So there wasn't like anyone that was like phenomenal. They could just go to, but you got to go to your horses. You got to go to Brown and Tatum and they just get, you just got to get great shots and great looks. And like, I thought that golden state did a great job with, you know, when Williams left somebody to get to the rim, like I thought that like, you know, Wiggins and, and Draymond did a great job following him behind and get in there for offensive rebounding and scoring. And then just Steph was able, you know, look, they just kept their head above water just enough for him just to take over. And, you know, this was his breakout performance because during the playoffs, during this series, he's been good, but he hasn't been Steph good, in my opinion. Like this, he just had one of those runs, you know, especially in the fourth where he just like shot after shot after shot and play after play after play. And look, it was just too much for them to, to handle. And, but I, I just thought the the turnovers and, and miscues and, you know, I mean, they only turn, they turned the ball over 15 times. It's not great, but it's not like you turn the ball over 20, 20, timely times turnovers, though. timely, timely turnovers. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, you just can't do that. Not in the finals, not in the finals. I don't give a fuck about this experience versus not experience. You're in game four already. You've had the taste of the finals. So it's not experience anymore. It's knowing how to make great plays and not great plays. And you've got to, you got to hold the line when it comes to just taking these tough shots and being in these tough positions. So yeah, I, uh, I think the turnover was killed. Out of the half, when you talk about Steph Curry, when I kind of knew he was locked in and something, something was going to happen. The first play out of halftime, they run a, a post for Draymond for some misdirection stuff to have Steph come off a split. He catches it at the 45, about one one small step inside the three-point line and goes bang <laughs> from, from that range. Just, yeah, bang, to start the half, just bang, I'm just going to bank this casually, one of the toughest angles shots in basketball off the glass at that distance, makes it and you're just like – He's 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 seen something we're not right now, and this could be big. And he ends up he ends up blowing blowing up, but just a phenomenal performance and just the degree of difficulty of his of some of his shots. Um, we'll go through his numbers. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't had that iconic Steph till Game Four. I agree, but you look at his numbers for the series. I'll just go through some series numbers for both teams real quick. Um, he's he's thirty four six and four on fifty percent from the field and forty nine percent from three. That 49% number from three is just, it's just beyond insane. When you consider how tough his attempts are and he's, he's getting hit on a lot of those. There were a few and ones that he fired up about and that we've been, you know, the commentators are talking about. These aren't just like, you know, Tony Snell feet set threes for these percentages. Like this is 49% off the dribble, step backs, cha-cha-cha, as pro would say, like insane numbers, man. Like, I looked at that and I thought I thought he'd be in the forties, maybe uh, low, you know, field goal percentage mid forties, threes around high thirties, low forties. Forty nine percent is insane. Um, that that is just crazy with with the amount he takes. Uh, Clay's is seventeen a night still, but he's, he's mid thirty percent clips. Um, but he's I think he's he's slowly starting to find his little rhythm in this series. He's picking his spots. So um, I think he's going to have you know we all talk about or everyone talks about game six clay game you know late late in series clays when he turns it on so we'll see but I think it's it's the momentum shifting towards that I think he'll have a, a few good games coming up late in this series Wigan sixteen and eight a night Looney nine and eight I'm going to go through 
one player I think on each team that needs to be better. Obviously, it's Draymond Green, uh, elephant in the room. Four point three points on horrible clips. He's, he's averaging four points on twenty three percent from the field, zero percent from three on two point three attempts a night, and fifty percent from the line. So, as I said earlier, I just like to see him get some cheap ones roaming around the paint early to get his confidence back. Um, you know, when he's guarding Williams, or when Williams is guarding him, Williams is going to go try block shots. So. The rule of thumb is when a shot blocker is guarding you, when he goes to roam, you follow that shot blocker in his trail and you get to the front of the side of the rim for, for an offensive rebound. I like to see him get a few of those cheap, easy baskets, just get your confidence going early on in a game. Get get in that pick and roll with Steph and, you know, the Draymond Green, when I played with him, he was a hell of a roller. He just ha- He's not really rolling right now. Um, he's, he's kind of popping back for handoffs and just floating around the perimeter. So just getting a few of those full steam ahead Draymond Green rolls for a dunk or, or two free throws I think will help him. But he, he definitely um, – he needs to get it going because they, they can only manage his poor play for so long until Steve Kerr has that tough decision to make. And I know Draymond touched on it on his podcast that he's not one of those guys that's offended if he gets benched. It is what it is. It's a finals. So it's always good to hear that, but doing it's a different thing. You know, he's, he's still an integral part of, of their team. So for the Celtics real quick, before I let you go pro, uh, Brown and Tatum, get this pro, they're, they're averaging exactly the same po- amount of points and rebounds over four games, which I just thought was weird. It's a useful, useless stat, but 22.3 points. That's yeah, useful. Yeah, 22.3 points a game exactly to a T and – 7.8, rebounds a game, which is just just crazy. So um, Tatum obviously was 7.8 assists on top of that. Uh, Brown has been shooting a better clip. He's at 44%. Tatum's at 34, uh, 34%. So I think Brown's arguably been their best player um, as far as consistency goes. I mean, Tatum does have that 7.8 assists, and I think that's been the growth of his game. When he's not having great games, he's found it. But he's turning it over a fair bit. Smart, 15, 5, and 4. Um White has, with 14 a game, but his clips have gone downhill as the series has worn on. He's at 38% to date. Who needs to be better for me? I think it's Tatum. I think he's a superstar. We know what he's brought, but he's just got to get that shooting clip a little bit better and just a little bit less turnovers. He's at 3.5 turnovers a night. If you can get that down to the twos, get his shooting clips to, 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 to low 40s, they're going to win. Um, when he has high turnover games, bro, even throughout the playoffs, if he has a high turnover game, they lose every single game. Uh, when he ever when he has a low turnover game, they win. Simple as that. But that's kind of the stats wrap. What do you see glaring? Who do you think needs to step up for, for both teams to to get him the trophy? I think Draymond, without question. You know, Draymond Green has to improve. And, and to be honest, like the rebounding, the playmaking, the assist that he has, I'm good with it. But the screening, like, look, if you're not gonna, if you're gonna be a little messed up with the offensive game. And Draymond's never been a great offensive player in his life. Like he's been what he had. He's a solid offensive player, but you you don't expect him to to go off and be carrying teams offensively, but you have to be dominating in at least one thing. And I think when he can be dominating is a screen setting for sure. And we, because I like the tough, rough stuff. I do like that because it is intimidating. It it really is because, you know, it's hard when that guy's coming at you and he's going to hit you with something, you know, either if the refs look at or not, it's, it's, you definitely have to think about him and look at him, but I think his screen setting, be a guy who's going to set pulverizing screens to fuck people up, either to fuck them up or to, to force switches. And then, and then, like you said, punish those smaller players by being able to operate in that 
you know, that short roll situation or even the, in, in the, you know, in the dunker spot, but just set fucking, just set horrifically legal screens and be able to operate out of that. But he just has to be him. You know, like, I think there's a difference between being a tough guy and being a villain, you know, like you could be that tough guy that everybody hates to play against, but when you, it just seems like he he wants to be that villain so badly. Again, I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but it just seems like that he just gets too caught up in it with the referees, fans, everything. He just has to be him. I mean, he's he's a he's a brilliant player, but he just has to like channel it the right way, in my opinion. And then for Boston, like Tatum just has to be like more efficient. I think efficiency for him. He's got to, you know, he just has to be efficient. The eight for 23s, like that stuff, he's got to, you know, look, you could have one of those games, but now your team, you lost home court advantage, and he's going to need him to really be efficient. I think Jalen Brown's taking a big step in his game this playoff, you know, especially in the finals, but efficiency is big. Like Tatum has to have one of those dominating games where he can go like 11 for 17, you know, on top of what he's doing assist-wise low turnover. I mean, that's a, that's easy to say and ask for, but I think efficiency for him, he's got to take great shots. He's got to like hunt great shots and yeah, he's got to put his head down, low shot clock, low game clock and try to make a play, but you know, he's got to be just more efficient and he's got to come to play like that. And that's just sort of what, what I think out of those two teams and who's got to step up. Yeah. Um, the adjustments for game five for me, questions I have, uh, does the, the AA lineup stay. Um, that's a question that you know. I think people will be asking. I think it does, but that's that's one question for Boston. Where can Boston go on the bench to find something? I mean, Grant Williams hasn't been great this series. Um, can they find something from that bench? Does the rotation stay the same? That's probably you know it is two two. They might not be in panic mode. Um, do the Warriors stick with Draymond Green and play in the same minutes? That's another question I have. Um, does he still play high thirties, low forties? I don't know. I, I think there's probably a tweak there to maybe get him in the low thirties. I, I really liked Payton, um, and he's I think his minutes have been big. He's only playing limited minutes, but he's he's a he's a bigger rebounder than his size. He's athletic. He's a fantastic defender. I just think it gives. It gives Steph and, and Clay a little bit of a rest to find maybe a bit more offensive legs by putting Payton on whoever's hot out of Brown and um, and Tatum at times even smart. So they're the questions I have. I, I don't think there's going to be immense adjustments coming from either team because it's 2-2. It's 0-0 essentially. Um, but do you see any any big adjustments coming for Game 5 Pro? No, I just think moving the ball, you know, not letting the ball stick, setting those screens early, you know, um, you know, just I don't think there's gonna a lot of changes to be made. Just take care of the ball, make sure plays don't, you know, just again hunt the great shot versus the you know, those contested shots early. Those things pile up. I think you just have to play, look, you just have to play efficient, you know, winning basketball, move the ball, defend without fouling, take good shots, make the extra pass, you know, straight line drive, force two on the ball, make a play for somebody else. And that's it. I don't I don't see a huge adjustment there I think you just keep Draymond and keep rolling with him but look he's a champion he knows he's gotta he's gotta be better and I think you just roll with him because of his experience his toughness um I think they've got more options off the bench than Boston's got Boston's got very limited options they're eight deep if that and 
you know, those, uh, those last two guys in the rotation, Williams and, and um, uh, the Pritchard, they, those guys just got to make open shots. They got to consistently make open shots when they, when the ball swung to them. Those are the plays they got to make. Derek White's sort of a wild card. You never know, but we'll see what happens. I think one adjustment if I'm Boston, um, I go to a soft blitz or a, or a medium blitz with Steph Curry handling the ball. Um, I'm not going to drop anymore after what he did last game or a one through five switch. I think, you know, I think Steph's gotten much better or he's really good at if you if you just hard blitz him. I think there's there's a bit of a, a problem there because you've got Draymond going downhill four on three and he generally makes that right decision. I think the soft blitz might work. What I mean by that is you're not hard double teaming him. You've got a big up to touch basically and you've got the guard chasing and you kind of – it's a corral blitz and we're just holding it until you give the ball up, Steph. And then if Draymond wants to pop, great. If he's in a, kind of a half roll, we can kind of half recover. I think that's something Boston's definitely got to look at. Um because arguably, you know, game four, you know, Steph single-handedly won that game, as we've discussed. So do you maybe say, all right, we're going to – we want to see Clay. We want to see you shoot a decent clip. Draymond, we want to see if you can go in and shoot that floater and, and score some buckets for, for your team. Make someone else beat you. I think um, I think that's definitely something that I think Boston will be talking about. All right, we're at the phase of the series. Steph's found his mojo. We need to, we need to have some, some coverages that get the ball out of his hands. And I think a soft blitz might be one. I think the – the thing with the, the teams that hard blitz, hard double Steph Curry out of pick and rolls is the Warriors are so good at Steph getting the ball out of that and then coming straight off a handoff to whoever he throws it to. And the problem is you've got you've got the guy leaving the doubles who's taught to sprint out for a rotation. His back's turned and then you've got Steph coming off another handoff with Draymond. It's like you can't then re-blitz that one. So I think that's why I don't like the hard blitz. I think the softer one where you can still see the floor and recover and just be like, hey, we're going to corral you to a certain spot on the floor. That's a much tougher shot for Steph to make and I think he's going to have to give the ball up and then try to get it back later in a shot clock is a bit harder. So I think that's an adjustment that they'll probably have to have. If I'm Udoka, I'll have that in my back pocket and it might just be kind of that emergency nuclear button that we need to go to this at some point in the game, pro. But other than that, I think you're right. I don't think there'll be too many adjustments from either team. Yeah, and, and for any young player that or, or parents out there that are that have kids that play and they get constantly double teamed, do what Steph's doing. Give it up early, either in the in the roll or don't even get to the pick and roll. If you see the blitz coming, just give it up and just follow the pass and come off that handoff. Now you got a head of steam, you get the ball, and now you can try to get to the basket. I will never say the fucking term downhill. I think it's a fucking moronic fucking term, in my opinion. Just get to the basket, get in the paint, and try to make a play. And and that's that's what fucks defenses up because a lot of guys who get double teamed and girls who get double teamed when they play, they just let them let it affect them. They either try to make a play that's not there, they over dribble it, they get blitzed and turn the ball over, offensive foul. Just give it up, follow the pass. Either give it up and, and trust the fact the ball is going to find you again into another pick and roll or another play or give the ball up and follow it with a handoff. But, yeah, I agree. I don't think there should be much – you know, they know. They know the tweaks. I think most of the adjustments have been made. Uh, you might see one or two more in the in this series. I think Golden State's going to win in seven. Um, I, I, I think it's going to be tough for them to win in Boston again. I think it'll be tough for – very tough for Boston to win in Golden State um, I think I, I think they're, they're going to win this, this series in seven games. Yeah, it's looking like it's going to go seven. So that's going to that's great for everyone. I've got that game seven. My whole schedule just cleared out on that. It's our Monday Australian time, so <laughs> I hope it goes 
hope it goes seven. All right, let's go to some news and stuff. Um, Draymond Green and his podcast pro. Now, uh, there's a lot being made of this and I'm kind of, I'm siding with Draymond to an extent. Um, so everyone's saying Draymond shouldn't be doing his podcast, it's the NBA finals, he should be locked in. There's a lot of downtime between games. Um, and if he wants to go and vent and, and talk about the game and discuss the game, it's the same as what he'd be doing in a press conference. It's the same answers as people saying, is he giving intel? Is he, I don't think he is. I've listened to a few of them. I'd, I'd rather, much rather Draymond Green sit in his hotel room or his house for the 30, 40 minutes that he talks about basketball than out in a strip club till 5 a.m., out with the boys, out with the fellas, out, whatever, right? Um, so that's the first thing. Look, has it put... I think it's put more pressure on him, definitely. So that would be my only argument against would be like, you know, by doing this, people are talking about him more, talking about how bad he's playing, and then it's putting more, he's just pouring more pressure on him. But he's the kind of guy that generally likes that and generally responds from it. But I think it's just been made in, uh, you know, it's just, just been made into a mountain out of a molehill, the old saying, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. I like that cliche. Look at you. I don't know. I love it. Mm. But it's yeah, I just I've just seen people talking about it. Um, fans out there, you know, players don't go from a game and just ball up in a corner till the next game, um, and just you know, shut down. Like players have kids, children, they have lives. They got to pick kids up from school sometimes. They get, still got to you know take calls from agents, whatever it is. They're gonna cut a lot of film in the finals, and you're not the worst thing for you is to sit in your room and think about it all day. So. If he's doing a podcast and it's his little release valve, and 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 so be it. I, I think the more the more power to him. Um, and I just don't think you know he's done it the whole playoffs, and it's only become an issue now because he's had two. It was oh he's playing bad because of the podcast. Well, what about what about the playoffs? Like he had some great games in in different every series. No one was saying shit then. So I think it's been a little nitty picky. It is putting more pressure on him. He does like that kind of pressure, so we'll see if he responds. I just, I just thought I'd address it, pro, because I think it's just, it's just, it's just way too big than than it is, right? Yeah, I think in today's in society in today's sort of world that they just somebody wants to just like they want they want to blame something on something, right? And they see that he does a podcast. He's very outspoken on anything that he wants to talk about. He never holds back. And of course, like if he plays well, no one's going to care. If he plays badly, they got to blame it on something. And yeah, I don't really care to be honest with you. If he wants to do a fucking podcast, let him do a podcast. Like he's good. I like him because he's pretty honest. Is he right all the time? Like Patrick Beverly is, are they right all the time? No, but they're cool because they actually like, they'll, they're not afraid to like, you know, go both, both sides of an argument. Like they're not afraid to go, you know, to, to speak the truth and get animated about it. And I don't care. They're not right all the time and what have you, but like, I don't make a big thing of it. Bogues. Like I remember in 2000, especially on the road in the finals, like I remember in 2010 with Kobe, he never left the besides practice shoot around, never left the, never left the hotel room. I remember on one day, like literally from 5am to 3am, I was literally going back and forth every 90 minutes to his hotel room. He was getting rubbed down by the masseuse. He was stretching. He was eating at, in the hotel. He was watching film. He he didn't really like leave. I don't know what he did at home. I didn't ask him what he did there, but like, 
I, I just know because I was sort of a part of that in, in Boston. So like, if you're going to do a podcast to release and to get you to do whatever, I don't give a fuck. Like, that's what you do. I, I, you know, I haven't listened to his stuff. I listen to clips like that are on YouTube or, or social media. And that's what he does. And does he give up information, whatever, like basketball is basketball. You can give him your whole, like, look, sometimes teams, they, no one runs anything anyway, anymore. Like what didn't tell you going to give up that you're going to fucking come and try to fucking kick somebody's ass. Like it's not Intel. That's just fucking what you're saying. I don't think no it's different to a press like conference, bro. That's my point. It's like yeah, some, some players give a 30 minute press conference. It's like, he's doing it for his own branding. Okay. Um, but it's like, you know, if people think he's playing bad because he's doing a podcast, I don't think that's it. I think it's more you're playing bad, shut up, we don't want to hear from you, where it's like, okay, well, so does that go with should he eat a certain meal if he played played bad or played good? Should he drive a certain route? Should he, you know, if you want to nitpick on, on certain things, you know, like, oh, he, he missed a layup in warm-ups, that's why he played. Like, it's just, it's never-ending if you want to go that, that nitpicky. So I thought I'd bring that up because I just don't think, you know, being fellow podcasters, would I do under in the finals? Probably not. I wouldn't. I'm, a, I'm different to, to Draymond, but I think he has every right to do it. So um, the more the merrier, and I think it's, it's, it's good for him to be able to do a long-form review of the game, and, and I think some people appreciate it, some don't. But um, just one I thought I'd note, DeAndre Aiden. Rumored to most likely have played his last game as a son, pro. That's kind of been leaked over the week. Um, not overly shocking considering how it ended. So I wonder if, if, if Monty's had a catch up with him, if they've had, had a little powwow. It doesn't seem like they have. Um, obviously, there is more than just what happened during the final, uh, during the, the, what was it, the, the series against Dallas and the playoffs. Um, there's also the fact that they didn't extend him. I know he's pissed off about that. But uh, do you think he's played his last game as a Sun Pro? I don't think so. I don't think. It, I don't think so. I think that look, they've got all all the control in this Bogues. Like, you know, I mean, they could offer him the most money. They've got. He's got a team that they can compete with. You know, even without even without CP, like they could find a way to do something and, and make a move. But. Look, they've got all the power in this, even though they didn't extend him. Doesn't matter. He's a restricted free agent. They can match any offer. If he doesn't want to, if he doesn't want to take any offers and he doesn't want to sign any offers with them, then they they extend him what's called the qualifying offer, which like I think it's like 150% of his salary. And that he's gonna have to take that because there's no other, there's no other avenue. I think that look, they've got a competitive team. They got good young players. They got one of the best coaches in the league. Like, what are you doing? You know, I don't, I don't, you know. But I have heard though, Bogues. I will tell you this: I've heard from somebody inside of his camp that they do expect him to be traded. But with his salary, you know, like again, without having that extension, and um, without having that extension, he's at like twelve six right now. So. You're not going to get as much unless other players are involved and it gets a little crowded from there. But like, if you extend them, now maybe you do sign and trade. I'm not sure what you can and can't do with that anyway. But like, he's going to make like 30. So like, why not wait a year? Like, like we talk about with the Zion stuff, get the 30 or whatever you're going to sign him to for you know a full a full uh, max contract, and then maybe try to make a move. I think all this chatter, you know, I don't think there's anything that like either side that you can't come back from. I think that they've got a good team. They've, they've had great success. Um, they, they came up a little short, that whole contract thing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a little pissy when you don't offer him the contract. I don't know if they didn't offer it to him or they offered him a low number. Low number. I forgot. Usually, I think they started low, low and yeah, just I mean, broke down, yeah. Look, the guy's one of the worst owners in pro fucking sports. Of course, like, <laughs> of course it's going to be fucking, of course he's going to fuck that up, right? But it's still, they could just come back and say, look, here's the full max. Let's go to work. You know, they're just too good. It's a good organization. It's a good, like, we all know both, right? In the NBA, it's really hard to find this. It's really hard to find a winning situation that you have a chance to win a championship in. You're going to make as much money as you want. It's a great fucking place to live, right? And you have a great coach that has a, and, and a management team that's put some good pieces and drafted pretty well. It's really hard to fucking find all that. And plus, the media is not killing it. So it's not like New York. It's not like LA. It's not like Miami. It's not like, like that's like Dallas, like, except the winning part. Well, now they're winning, but like, that's like Dallas. It's like great place to live, winning, good coach, good management, except the owner. That's a fucking joke. Everything else is pretty fucking good. I don't think he's going to leave Bogues. I think it's a lot of chatter. I think a lot of people like to talk like that. Hey, I could be completely wrong, but they've got all the power in it. I don't know why he would want to leave. You know, it's well, he's young, bro, you know, and he's young, and and you know we do things almost silly. Um, there is the pride fact of what happened in that conference final, in, in the semifinals, and that could play a part. The other one could be that he he doesn't want to continue to play a role. Like he's he's a he is a glorified role player on that team, um, whether he likes it or not. As of current, you know the ball's in Chris Paul's hands for the majority. Devin Booker's their, their number one scorer. They got other wings that you know shoot a lot of threes. Uh, maybe he thinks, I want to go somewhere where I'm one too. Um, that could be the other thing, you know, and if you've got people in the, in his camp, as we all know, which he will, that, man, they're screwing you, you need more touches, you'd be 20 and 20 if if, if you got touches, blah, 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 blah. Even though they're winning, I think the winning maybe is taken, taken for granted because they've been there the last two or three years where he's like, hang on a second, maybe I do want to be the man somewhere. So that, that could be the other factor pro, you know, um, and that, that happens with younger players that they maybe realize it when it's too late. Yeah, I mean, trust me, it's a lot better here than going to like Indiana where you're going to have to retool or go to, you know, I maybe it goes to Portland. Mm. I don't know. Like it's, you know, look, it, you always think the grass is greener. Maybe it is in some situations, but there aren't many situations. There's about six situations that have a chance to win the championship every year, maybe. And you, you're in one of them. It's t- and. You know, well, like you said, they're young, young guys. We all do it. Young people. We always do dumb things. And maybe he's not thinking about it. Hey, maybe there's some shit going that we don't know about. Again, you don't really know until you live in a situation with that guy every day, what he's going through. I don't know. I just think that he's a focal point of that team. And um, he's a big part of it, even though like Booker gets and Paul usually gets a a lot of the press. But he's got to understand that, look, Paul's going to be gone in a year or two. You know, and Booker's going to be there. It's going to be him and Booker. They got Bridges, you know, and then they got a lot of other, you know, interchangeable parts like Crowder and, you know, like, you know, like Crowder, Cam Johnson and, and whatnot. And, you know, you could, you could make some, you can make some deals with that, but I don't know, man. I, look, I never tell a person how to feel. So if he feels a certain way, he thinks he's got to go, then he's got to go. Time will tell. I hope he stays as well, as well but uh, strange things happen. Quinn Snyder is gone. We spoke about this last week and it happened a day later. Um, steps down after eight seasons as head coach. The glaring quote for him was, I'm not leaving for any other reason other than they need a new voice. 
Um, my tenure is, is over here and I hope they you know, can move on. And he, he, he made a note of saying there's, not, there's no bad blood from either side. It was just a matter of I think things just need to, uh, need to get better. So um, interesting that they've moved on. Like I said, does he know something we don't? Is, is Donovan out? I mean, Gobert out. Um, on, on top of this, pro, there's, there's some Gobert for Vucevic uh, rumors are heating up, which is an interesting one. Um, you know, they, you know, I, I don't think Utah are great, as great as Gobert is in the paint, they're not great defensively on the perimeter, and Vucevic is definitely not a great defensive big man. So that's an interesting one for Utah. And I think Chicago need more offense. So <laughs> I just, it's an interesting one when you look at that. But, um, you think Quinn's just going to take a nice little hiatus for a season, like everyone go go see the Euroleague games, go go to different NBA cities, or do you think he's got something lined up to to go bang relatively soon? What I what I would think would be something is, yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. Um, maybe maybe there's just some intel out there that look, he can go to New York at some point. Maybe Don, maybe if Donovan stays another year, here's what I think is going to happen. I think that um, I think that Mitchell will be gone at some point. I think that there's going to be a lot of change. The Gorbear for Vucevic um, talk, I think there's some merit to that because um, mostly because of Vucevic only has one year, 22 million left on his deal. Um, I think that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing for, you know, Utah to make that deal because I don't think that, um, I don't think that Vucevic is a player that like Utah wants to go forward with. If they're going to blow it up, they're going to blow it up. So, but I do think they have some flexibility. They'll probably ask uh, Chicago for a couple more pieces. If, if I know Ainge, like I do, he's going to like try to win every trade that just one for one deal ain't going to work. There'll be, There'll be multiple picks. There'll be another player involved, maybe a young player, Patrick Williams. I don't know, uh, Kobe White, who knows. But what I do think is I think Johnny Bryant will be the new head coach of the of the Utah Jazz. He's a young assistant, associate head coach in New York. Um, he's Donovan Mitchell's closest coach in his life. Like, you know, he was the one who did all his work, you know, pregame, offseason, I think that the lad, Johnny Bryant, if they're going to keep Donovan, they're going to have Bryant there just to smooth it out. And then they're probably going to move Gorbeard for something and then just move a bunch of other pieces around and see, you know, maybe pull a Portland where they're just going to pull pieces and they just, you know, rotate around Mitchell. If after a year that doesn't work and New York struggles and they move on from Thibodeau, I could see them hiring uh, Quinn Snyder, giving him, you know, biggest contract that we've seen in a long time for a coach and maybe trying to get Donovan Mitchell to go. Cause I've heard that they like each other. I heard that him and Quinn Snyder like each other a lot. So I could see them doing that. I mean, you know, who knows what New York's going to do. It's always a shit show with them, but um, I think I could see something like that happening. Mm. Yeah. It will be interesting. Um, just, he's a fantastic coach. I think he gets, um, snapped up pretty quickly, but I think it might be just a year hiatus or he, it's a wait and see for, he knows something we obviously don't because <laughs> yeah. they, you know, reportedly offered him a contract that would have made him one of the top two or three paid coaches in the NBA to scuff at that. Um, and 
just turn it down and, and then resign, something's going on. So he's got a grand plan and he's not a silly fella. So we would, we would all assume that he has, he knows something we don't, but um, that's, that's in his right. Charlotte have hired Kenny Atkinson as the head coach. He's currently with the Warriors. An assistant coach was infamously moved on from Brooklyn a couple of years ago before their, their Steve Nash hiring and their, uh, their uh, big three, as you'd call it. Uh, but he got a four-year deal in Charlotte. You think it's a good hire? I like Kenny Atkinson a lot. Um, he's a, a bright mind. He did a good job in uh, in Brooklyn. I thought he was a good coach. He's hard on guys. He's like a Mike Malone clone, you know, more like that. And he's very hard on guys. And I have a I have a problem with it only because Ball had such a problem with the last coaching staff. You saw it multiple times late in the year, those guys going at it, um, you know, and if you're not, the only thing about D'Antoni is D'Antoni doesn't give a fuck. All he gives a fuck about is running that offense, getting shots up every two and a half seconds. He doesn't like – guys could cuss him out. Guys could be happy, unhappy. Staff could be happy. Staff could be unhappy. He doesn't really give a fuck. He's just going to like – all right, and just going to let it like roll off his back. With uh, someone like – well, Kenny, Kenny's confrontational at some points, and he's not going to back down. He's a tough motherfucker. You know, he's really good with that. And, but like that may be problematic with Ball because Ball's their number one asset. Ball is their franchise player going forward, and he's tough to coach. You know because of the fact that he wants to play a certain way, he wants to play freestyle and and do whatever he wants, and he doesn't really want to be held accountable like that. Um, I think that Kenny Atkinson will hold him accountable, and I think there will be some headbutting if Kenny Atkinson maybe being in Golden State for the year and figuring out like there's a time and place for that and not doing that every day, then I think that, you know, that could be good. The problem with going from Golden State, you've seen it with multiple coaching hires from assistants to other teams is you're not in Golden State anymore. You don't have those offensive weapons where you could be kumbaya every day because they'll just figure it out. You've got young players that really need to be coached and be held accountable and you got to do it in the right way without them shutting you down. And that could be a problem. So, yes, I do like the coach as far as being prepared and helping them win and being a good coach knows what the fuck he's doing, hold guys accountable. I don't like it for the him and ball situation because it's going to be, you know, maybe, you know, it's going to be honeymoon phase the first couple of months. But then I want to see, you know, I want to see them in Golden State in the middle of January down 27. And what are they going to do? You know what I'm saying? Like, how are they going to handle that? Ball turns the ball over six times and, you know, he brings him back to the bench to try to clean stuff up. And Ball does that whole eye roll, not looking at him thing and just yes him to death. I want to see how Kenny handles it because it's not going to be easy. I'm not saying that it should be easy either, but that's the only thing I have a hard time with, Bogues. What do you think? Yeah, well, Charlotte are a loose group, period. Like their roster, for the most part, um, Ubre and... Um, yeah, Bridges, after getting caught with whatever he was doing, um, smoking weed on on whatever it was, his Instagram live or whatever, they've got a loose group. They play loose. That's their strength. It's also their weakness. Um, and I think you know, they're giving him a four-year deal, so I think they're going to roll the punches. But, yeah, I mean, do you scare – Ball off eventually in free agency if you if you don't get the right coach that's that's the challenge that organizations small organizations especially you know looking at Uzion and New Orleans that they have those issues and I think you make a valid point I think Kenny's got to I think they've hired him knowing that to an extent. 
but he's probably got to tweak it a little bit with that group because you don't want to lose them early and you don't want to lose them mentally where they're, they're blocking you out and yes, stirring you to death and doing their own thing. But they need some discipline. That that squad that squad is a talented squad now. There's no more excuses for Charlotte. They should be a you know they should be in that playoff mix. Um, <clears throat> you know, with 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 the talent they have on that roster. So, you know, I know my, we know MJ uh, would love to have disciplinarian type coaches, um, the old school mentality. So maybe that's a factor. But yeah, I mean, as far as the, the Warriors' offense, you'd hope that uh, Kenny isn't that silly to try and implement the same kind of stuff <laughs> with, with Charlotte. Uh, you'd hope he's not that silly, and I don't think he is. But yeah, it's going to be. It's, you know, two meteors colliding eventually, and it's going to come to a point, like you said, in January on a five-game trip where we're four, we're on four. <laughs> um, that's going to be where the true test starts. I'm not really worried about October, November, December. I'm worried about when shit really hits a fan for the third time, and you're hearing the same old thing. Um, how they can respond, but they they need it. They're, they're they're one of the most undisciplined teams in the league. When they when they play well and they're locked in, they can beat anyone. Um, when they when they don't, they can lose to anyone. And I think Kenny's got to be that guy that gets that consistency, just to in the middle part where we're consistent every night and giving ourselves a chance. And sometimes you will lose to a Golden State because they're more talented, but you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot. So uh, I don't know a whole lot about him other than that. I know he can get riled up a little bit. So that's um something that they need, but just got to tweak it a little bit. So we'll see. Pat Riley, pro. This was fantastic. I don't know. Did you watch his press conference? Fuck yeah, I did. I love Pat Riley. One of the few guys to, to, to go this hard in a press conference. So for those that haven't watched it, a friend of mine is a really big Miami Heat fan. Um, he sent it to me. I uh, had a quick look and he basically gives a season wrap. He goes almost through every player, every every staff member, like goes through everyone and no holds barred. Uh, they asked him, you know, Tyler Hero about wanting to, you know, around Tyler Hero wanting to be a starter. He said, okay, come to camp and win a spot then. You want to be a starter? Come on, come to camp, in shape, ready to go, get better in the off season, and you'll win a starter spot. That was point blank answer. Um, Kyle Lowry was out of shape. He failed to meet our 80% body fat. Uh, he needs to address that or he's not going to play, you know. So it was it was it was really kind of uh, different to what we see most GMs now are really walking on eggshells about saying the most minuscule small thing that pisses off one superstar because you overspoke about the other superstar or blah blah blah. You got to be really careful as a GM, even as an owner. Whereas it's nice to see a guy. I mean, Pat Riley's earned the right to do it, but it's nice to see a guy just sit down and be like, "Yep, that's bullshit. This guy was shitty this year. He needs to be better." Yep. This guy was great. He needs to keep working though because we need more. It was, it was great to see, bro. Bogues, look, everybody talks about we got to be like San Antonio. We got to be like Miami. But nobody really wants to do that shit every day. Like when, when the first sign of a problem comes, they revert right back to doing what they always do. And they always talk about it. The Spurs way, doing it the, the Hawks way, the you know, the Pacers way, the Bulls way, the whatever way, right? And it's just like, but when it comes down to it and you got to make some hard deals and you got to talk the truth and have hard conversations, nobody wants to do that shit. Pat Riley's earned the right, obviously, because of what he did in LA. And since, since the LA days, he's been the same ever, you know, when he went to New York, when he went to Miami. Look, it's not that hard. You have a plan. You tell players the truth. You give them exactly what they need to hear as far as like, this is how we are going to be successful. This is how we expect you to be. We give 
you the lap of luxury. We give you shitloads of money to live like a kajillionaire for the rest of your life. We're giving you this. We give you the best facilities. We give you the best training staff. We give you the best coaching staff. We we travel unbelievably. What we expect for you to be is in the best shape of your life, accept your role and compete every day like it's your last fucking day. That's it. And that's it. It's it's no, there's no bullshit. There's no, um, don't tell this guy, but you're our guy. And then like, and then you tell everybody that, you know, there's no games. It's just, look, you get the fucking job done, or we're going to get somebody better than you to do it. Look, if they were paying these guys what they were paying them in the eighties and then like, and talking like this, a little, t- a little different, but the money these guys are making, all you have to do is be in great shape, be good at something, work in your game, and be coachable. It's not that fucking hard. And as a GM, as a coach, just be honest with your fucking players. If they're not getting it done, you don't have to scream, yell, and be, you know, really like aggressive with it. You just say, look, dude, you're too fat. You're too out of shape. You're 18% body fat. What are we doing here? You know the style, 10% or whatever they're going to give. And with with Riley, it's probably 0.3%. But like whatever that number is, Whatever you have to do, this is what we do together. And I don't care if you're our best guy or you're our worst two-way or anybody in between. I'm going to treat you the same. Pat Riley's always had my respect. But when LeBron, Bosch, and Wade went in his office and wanted to fire Spolster in that first year, and, and Riley basically told him to fuck off and they don't run the team and he does, that's when I gathered a 1,000% respect for that fucking guy. Because especially when no one's looking and most guys would have said, I'll fire that guy yesterday because you three guys, I can't lose here. He's like, fuck, no, we're not doing that. We don't do that here. This is not how we operate. These are the rules. We live by these commandments every day with or without a camera in my face or with or without the best player, or the worst player. But no one can do that, folks. Everybody likes to talk about it, put those signs up in their fucking locker room. Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to be fucking like the army and the fucking, we're going to be like the special forces. And then the first fucking day, they go from being the, an armored tank to the fucking Titanic in two hours of having any type of adversity. I love what Miami does. I don't give a fuck if they're a lottery team or a championship team. He, he, he has the total right because he didn't say anything that was like he didn't say anything that was that bad. He just was the honest. Hey, look, if if dude wants to start and job, earn it. All right. You want, you know, th- this guy, you got to come in in better shape. I remember when they won the championship in Miami and Antoine Walker came in with way high body fat. Wouldn't let him play. Wouldn't let him play until he got down. Was in a treadmill all fucking day. <laughs> I remember I, I remember I used to work out a player. Um, way early in my career, boats, and he was like a like 14th guy on their roster. And he goes, Mike, you'd never fucking believe this shit. He goes, in training camp, they like we did double, we did double sessions. They put hospital beds, boats across the around the court, like like 10, 12 feet off the court, mm. like six of them, because guys were dropping. They had like IVs they had to put in their fucking arm, you know, because he worked them so hard. That's what he does, folks. He's driven. He's got a fucking plan. If you read that book, 
uh, Showtime about the Lakers, that book that I always talk about, mm -hmm. they talk about his infatuation with players being in great shape, about how he did all this research and had all his trainers and, and people that worked for the team do all this research on people being in shape and what body fats they need to be before any of this fucking, before they started hiring these New Zealand fucking coaches and Australian <laughs> football coaches like they're Albert fucking Einstein. Like this, this he did this in the fucking 80s. And he was ahead of this shit. Mm. And he's fucking unbelievable. He did another trend in the NBA, which I totally fucking respect, folks. So he's colorblind, right? And I don't know if anybody knows. I don't know that. Like, yeah. like yeah, colorblind, right? So he can't see certain colors. So, you know, you know, like most coaches, like they have like pads, they have like the white paper they write on. He made his staff buy him colored card cardstock. He didn't write on notebook paper. He wrote on cardstock. So like, their administrative budget went up like 40 grand a year because they have this expensive ass fucking cardstock. He did like what's cardstock? Blue cardstock's like you know, like an index card, like a, like a hard card like mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. but even even harder than that. Okay. Like you know, like it's a it's a thick piece of paper, but it's like a it's really hard. Like it, it's like bendable, like barely bendable. It's not like a, a thin piece of paper. So he wrote on that. Every fucking coach, you watch Monty Williams, you watch Doc Rivers, they have this colored cardstock card paper. Dallas did it. Everybody copied this fucking guy. I'll tell you what, he's, you read that fucking book about Showtime. He's a fucking interesting character, man. I remember Eddie Curry. He came in when we were in Grover's and um, he, they were trying to sign Eddie Curry to like just a backup center role in Miami. And he came in, dude, that guy is fucking scary. He's like, you look at his eyes. You're like, what the fuck? Like you, you, he's like Medusa. You don't want to look him straight in the eyes. Cause he'll make a, he'll make a, he'll make a guy like me think that I could be Brad Pitt in two months. Like, that's how he is. And he's scary as shit, but he's fucking direct. He don't give a fuck who you are. He'll just like lay it down straight. He won't raise his voice. He'll just fucking talk right through you. I love that dude. Man. Well, Wesley, you remember Wesley Person? For sure. So yeah, apparently th there's a story, you know, um, Wesley was at the end of his career, went to Miami and they, yep. uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but they, they took oh, him, never. They, they took him to the running track uh, for preseason, to or, or training camp. It was all right. We're going to be on the running track and do our thing there. And he got like ten minutes in, walked off, yep. went to the Miami Heat coaches and GM was like, "Hey, you guys don't have to pay me. You guys don't owe me any money." Uh, I'm retiring. I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> like honestly, that was a story. It was like he was at the end of his career, and he's like, "I'm too old. I'm too old for this shit. I'm a feet set shooter. <laughs> like yeah. I'm not. I can't. I can't do it." And just was like, "Don't have to pay me. I know it was a partial guarantee. I'm out later." <laughs> just left. Oh yeah, I, he's unbelievable, man. He, dude, he doesn't like. Again, he doesn't give a fuck if they're a lottery team or a championship team. He runs it the same every day. Like when LeBron wanted 20 guys hired, like every other team he's played for, he didn't do it. I think he let him hire his stretch guy, like his physical, his physical guy, but that's it. No, no security, no nothing. He doesn't do that shit. He does not do that shit. And that's why he has my ultimate respect. Maybe he'll lose out in the end. I mean, he is a little older, but like maybe player, that's why like players, like it's it's funny. It's a little different than San Antonio because guys, maybe because Miami and San Antonio a place to live. 
Yeah, but but like guys don't want to go to San Antonio anymore, like the big timers anymore, for one reason or another. And people still want to go there. And look, they've always got assets. They if they've been down, they were only down for a year or two. And then he just retools the roster. He's got his assets. He'll trade anybody, and he just works that cap. He's got this guy. Um, I forgot the guy's name. Uh, cap guy. That's unbelievable. Andy, I forgot Andy's name, but like their staff's unbelievable. He's got, he's got a small scouting staff, he, but he's in charge and you know it. And your expectation, his communication with you is off the charts because he tells you, look, you're going to do this shit or you're going to be fucking gone. Which one you want? Because I don't give a fuck. I'm going to run it this way, regardless of how we are. And the owner loves him. He's brought multiple championships there. And the fucking guy, man, all, all respect for that dude, man. Yeah, it's nice. Like we talk about anti-analytics, it's anti-2022 to be that way. So it's uh, it's nice to see. NBL Australia, Dyson Daniels invited to the NBA draft green room. So it should be a top 10 lock, I'd assume, pro. So that's uh, that's great. We hit that last week. NBL free agency. Xavier Cooks re-signs the Sydney Kings. So that was huge. We got that done. Um <clears throat> Had to had to had to pay the man, obviously, but uh, we're we're excited to have him back. He's NBA Finals MVP, had a huge season. Uh, still has his NBA dream alive. He has some NBA outs in there. Um, we we support that, but hopefully, being selfish and greedy, we'd love to have him back. But if he goes on to bigger and better things, so be it. Um, <clears throat> we signed Quart Noy, who was a fringe NBA prospect at one point three or four years ago. He's dealt with some injuries. Uh, we got him from Cairns. We think he's a steel pro. Uh, he, he wasn't healthy last season. His weight got up there a little bit, but he's playing here in the minor league. He's playing well. We think we can help his body get him better with our, with our staff, so we're excited for that, um, trying to get him back on track. Cleveland Franks to Adelaide, which was the worst-kept secret in the NBL, was finally announced. We, we, we talked about that last week. Big import spend for them, uh, so they're, going, they're pulling out all the big guns, and they're also rumoured to be gone after Xavier Mumford. So not messing around at the City of Churches Pro. They are spending a lot of money. Josh Majette is back in Tassie. Huge signing, uh, integral part of their toughness and the way they play. I think he was huge for him. He's got that chip on his shoulder. He'll fight you. He'll talk shit. So I think that was huge. I'm hearing Adams will not be back in Tasmania, not on his current asking money anyway. I'm hearing he's asking for a big bag of money that Tasmania are not willing to pay. We'd love to see him back in the league, but I doubt that's going to be with Tasmania. To hear McCall back in Cairns, good fun player to watch. So well done on Cairns bringing him back. Cairns Glidden, New Zealand was interesting, just a, a feat set Australian shooter. Uh, pretty good off pin down. So he's gone to New Zealand along with Isaiah Liafa from Southeast Melbourne. Uh, they're more of the bigger names. There's a few small other signings, but not real noisemakers that have moved. So that um, that has been, you know, pretty interesting as far as, uh, you know, here in Tasmania brought Majet back, but no Adam. So that's it with the NBL Pro. Um, not a whole lot of new. Well, right I'll now. tell you one thing that I'll add. The Josh Majet wins the – Ryan Brokeroff, I look like I'm an accountant slash Starbucks barista award. So I just want to let you know that <laughs> he will win that award. Congratulations to you. I hope you, I wish you many, many, you know, much prosperity in life. I mean, it, it really helped Brokeroff in, in his career. I think that he'll do wonderful things in the rest of his career. Well, he's an angry accountant, like the actual movie though. Um, yes. Majet is. Yes. Brokoff's yes. not really angry, but Majet gets angry, no. man. Take those glasses off and fight you. So, uh, hey, hey uh, Brokoff, Ryan got mad at me once because I, 
it was like the first fucking, I, I can't help myself, folks. And it's probably the reason why I don't have a job. Like the first time I worked out, I said, hey, what time are you going to be back at Starbucks? He goes, enough pro, enough of that, right? Can we just work out? <laughs> yeah. I thought he was going to knock me the fuck. Probably I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the most he ever gets mad. He never really wants to fight you, but it was fucking hilarious. Like, because everybody was busting his balls. Then he gets me. You, you usually want to get me first. He got me like everyone's giving him shit. And then he gets on the court with me. And then that's it. I love Brokeroff. But yes, Majet, congratulations to you. I'm sorry, Bogues, I cut you up. No, you're all good. You're all good. We're going on to useful or useless. This segment, Pro, is brought to you by Dabble. So Dabble meets oh. Dabble is betting meets social media. I remember we spoke about it last week. Uh, download the Dabble app. You can follow all your friends and mates, stalk the experts, trending tipsters like myself who haven't got a whole lot right lately, but I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best. Um, but it's pretty cool. You can scroll through any any bets you like and instant copy them in one tap to your profile on your betting account. Uh, you can get alerts when your your friends and tipsters place bets and, and there's also an online forum to chat with, you know, if you want to go on the basketball forum or horse racing, whatever your passion is, you can have a chat and get a feel for what people are liking and not liking. You can also give people shit about their, their bad tips and um, also – you know, give kudos to those who hit some out of the park. So download the Dabble app. I'm on there, Andrew Bogut, all one word. Make sure you go and download it. It's good fun. And remember, you got to dabble socially and gamble responsibly pro well, responsibility, don't we? So download Dabble. But anyway, let's go on to our stats, useful or useless. The Warriors pro are 6-0 and after a loss this postseason. They haven't lost two straight since March. Pretty useful. Very useful. They get punched in the face. They punch back. And funnily enough, Boston in the I believe in the in the playoffs have not lost two in a row. So two meteors colliding, pro, but very very useful. I like that one. Um, just shows you that they they both they're both good teams about making adjustments and bouncing back. Warriors best lineup this postseason with a minimum of ten minutes, um, or minimum of ten minutes on the floor. Steph, Clay, Paul, Wiggins, and Looney. Useful, useless. <clears throat> um, I don't know. You, I guess it's not useless. Fuck it. I don't know, Bogues. What do you think? I think it's useful. It is. It is. It's. It's it has to be a minimum of ten minutes. So it is pretty useful to see from the fact of how integral Draymond Green's been the last, you know, almost decade. Um, that he's not in that. He's not in that. Wiggins is at the four, and Looney at the five. So that um. That's the only reason I thought it was useful. I think um, that's a glaring one. Kevon Looney has the highest plus minus in the finals pro, plus 36 out of both teams. Useful, useless. Stick that plus minus up your fucking ass. I can care less about useless plus minus, folks. Yes. What do you uh, got, I think it's useful just for, for the fact that Looney's not, he's not Bill Russell, as the great pro one said, um, but he does a lot of good things, and when he's on the court, he's having an impact. So I like it. Most finals wins as a trio. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green together have 19 finals wins. There's one other trio that had 19. Who is that, bro? <sighs> mm -hmm. Had 19, huh? Yep. Uh, which is a which is a, a, a league history best, I believe. Uh, post Bill Russell era, I must mention. Post Bill Russell era, 19 finals. Appearances wins? as a trio. Yeah, wins as a trio. Uh, oh, no, 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 wins, 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 wins as a trio. Okay. Um, 
Oh, fuck. Oh, it'd probably have to be, I would say Bulls, but they shuffled that lineup so much he couldn't. I would say Ginobili, Parker, Duncan. Bang, yep, they're on 19. Oh, and, wow. Yep, good one, and, and Steph Clay and Draymond have tied them, so they, they win one more game, I believe, since the Russell era. Uh, we're not including that because he had those Celtics teams. Um, yeah, they're going to they're gonna have an opportunity to break that record for the last X amount of years post-Russell, so that's a useful, useless pro. I would say that's useful. I mean, shit. I mean, you know, to say that they fucking won 19 games and – yeah, I mean, because they're carrying the fucking mail. Now, if you told me, like, Steph's brother-in-law, um, Looney, and, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jordan Poole, I would say, well, yeah, they did, but they literally, those other guys had to carry the mail. I, w- I would say useless. And no offense to those guys. Don't get it wrong. But, like, I would say that those guys, because they carry the mail and had to do it, you know, and they had to reshuffle that lineup a little bit and those players they got coming through and they still did that, I would say useful. What would you say, Bo? Yeah, useful. Useful as well. I think um, they've been the mainstays and they've tweaked around it. Now, some people will argue that you could replace Draymond with someone else. It could still probably work, but he's got the runs on the board. So I, I don't agree with that, especially, you know, in the, in the previous runs, he was still a very, very big part of it um, winning those championships. Al Horford made 21 threes in his first eight seasons. He has made 40 this playoffs pro. Useful, useless. It's useful. It's just sort of how the game goes. Like when the game, you know, it's funny. I'm working out a guy. I worked out one of the top high school kids in the country who's an Al Horford clone, ironically from Gainesville, where uh, (laughs) it is. And I said, look, you got to, you already have heads up on Al Horford going forward in your career because when Al came in the league, he didn't shoot the ball. He didn't shoot threes. He was an inside player. Now you already have a three-point game and you know at the call at the college three, and you will get the pro three, and you get you can do any everything else Al did at that stage of your career. So it, it is useful because it just a he had to adjust and make that adjustment to his game and develop that shooting. And, but it, it just, you adapt with the times. And, you know, when you and I talk about errors and stuff, and, and that's what he had to do. He had to adapt. Any competitor that's, that wants to stay relevant in their sport, they're going to have to adjust. And that's what, that's what when the game changes, you got to change with it. So that's what he did. And I think, it, I mean, it's unbelievable because he was not a shooter. At best, he was a 15-foot jump, 12 to 15-foot jump shooter. But uh, I think that, you know, I think that being able to do that and, and make it all these threes at a high clip, it says a lot about what he did and the work that he did and whoever developed his his shot for him and helped him do that is great. What do you say, both? Yeah, useful just to see the trajectory of his career change just based on the three ball. Um, and like you said, kids now know that coming up through, you got to at least have that in your repertoire, even as a five man. So huge strides first day. And it doesn't need a, you don't need to have it coming straight away to a league. As a rookie or whether you're a freshman in, in college, you can work towards it. And this is a prime example, like eight seasons, 21 threes, and then 40 total for this playoffs. Um, pretty big. So I think it's useful. Jason Tatum has a total of 91 turnovers in the playoffs so far. Four more, and he passes LeBron for the all-time record in a playoff run. Useful or useless? Pretty useful. I mean, shit, he's got to take care of the ball. I mean, that's turnovers – you know, turnovers are an offensive rebound, giving up offensive rebound putbacks are a fucking killer for teams. And um, yeah, I mean, he's got to do better. I, I definitely think it's useful. Agree, useful. They're all useful. We hit him out of the park today. 
Fact or fake news, Pro? What do you have? All right, Bogues. We talked about it a little bit, but do you think Charlotte is in a better place hiring Atkinson rather than D'Antoni dealing with Ball, you know, their young point guard? Do you think they're in a better place than, you know, what would you rather have done? Specifically. Just with Ball. Just, just with, ball, with Ball, fake news. Uh, sorry, yeah, fake news. Just if you're specifically going towards Ball, I think D'Antoni would have been a much better option just because he's going to let him do what he wants and run the roost. And as we said earlier, Atkinson's going to eventually push back on on ball when he's a bit too loosey goosey. So, I think um, I think it's fake news. I think yeah, specifically when you're dealing with ball. Now, as a, as an organization, um, I, I would have said fact, but as specifically dealing with ball, yeah. fake news. Yeah, I agree. I think Atkinson's a great hire. Like if I had a team, like if I had him for like Portland, I would have been fine with it because Dame. Dame's coachable. Um, he's at a he's at a, a level where you know it doesn't matter who his coach is. He's going to deal with him, and he's going to be have that relationship. And he wants to be held accountable a little bit. But with this kid, he doesn't. I mean, you know, I like the last coach they had. I think he did a fantastic job. But I knew that his days were numbered when I and I think I mentioned in the pod a couple of times where I would watch their games. And he would be getting into it with him. As a coach, you need to. You don't just fuck with a player to fuck with him. Believe me, I've dealt with coaches that did that. That doesn't work. But when they make a mistake, they got to, especially as a young player, you got to sit next to him. You got to say, hey, look, this is the mistake you made. And we're good. We'll get you back in the game. But we got to address this. And when you don't want to be coached and you're just saying, yep, yep, yep. And giving disrespect to a coach, that's huge. And I think that um, Atkinson doesn't take any shit. He's a lot like Mike Malone. That's going to be a tough one. So I, I say uh, I say fake news. All right, folks. Gold State has a better chance to beat the Celtics with Porter in the lineup rather than Looney. Fake news. Uh, I think we saw it last game. I think it was a, a change I had to make to try to, you know, like I said, unlock Draymond Green. Um, but they need they need Looney. He's got to give him 20 to 30 good minutes a night for them to to, to win this championship. So I will uh, definitely fake news that one. Yeah, I'll fake news it too. Um, look, Porter Porter to me is like Trevor Ariza. You know, he's a, a spot-up shooter. He could straight-line drive you. You know, he, he's a good athlete, could run. But he's not like uh, – he's not really much of an offensive threat as far as like someone who you just – like Wiggins, like Wiggins, we 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 shit on Wiggins a little bit throughout his career, and um, you know, for good reason. But like you know that he can put his head down and score whatever he wants, you know, in some stretches. Porter's just not built like that, and I think that Looney gives them rebounding, screening, defense, lob threat, um, drop down threat when his his man helps up on penetration. You know, I think that he's much better, in my opinion. It gives him a much better chance. So um, so I say fake news on that for sure. And it also flattens the floor. Like <clears throat> this whole day and age of, of five out, everyone can shoot the three. It's much easier to rotate when there's five guys around the perimeter. All of a sudden, if you put a guy at the dunker like Looney that can move off the ball, that can get an offensive rebound positioning, it frees up the perimeter a little bit. So I always scratch my head sometimes at, you know, all the spacing. We want five guys that can shoot the three. Well, it's much easier to get to five guys on the perimeter in a rotation. If you've got four or three out there, you know, three and a half at times and a guy cutting, it's much harder. But that's um, the way it's going. Next one. Yeah. Last thing, uh, Steph Curry, top 10 of all time. 
Fact. Uh, I think it's, I think it solidified last game. I think there was question marks around that for people, but you know he doesn't get enough respect along with the all-time greats, in my opinion. I think people respect the, what he's doing. He's an all-star, MVP, all that kind of stuff, but he still gets knocked back from that from that, that, that seat at the table with MJ and Kobe and, 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 and LeBron. I, I think he's there. I think he's top 10 all-time without a doubt, and I think if he continues a, a, along this kind of pace, this finals and potentially next year, he's going to scratch top five. Yeah, Bogues, I, I say fake news and look, it's not about disrespecting him. Um, it's not about disrespecting him, in my opinion. It's about like, okay, if you're going to put him in the top 10, who are you going to take out? You know, and, and we, you, you, this is a fact of fake news question. It's not uh, something that we've, it's not like, well, we'll probably discuss this in the office. Well, who do you have? You got MJ, Kobe, LeBron, Kareem, Shaq. Who else? Hakeem. Bill Russell, we got Chamberlain, Russell. Um, here's the one for me that I would probably say, like Larry Bird, you know, I would, I mean, the way he dominated the game, I would put, uh, put him in there. Where probably the one guy or the two guys, I would say the last three in the top 10 would be Steph, would be Olajuwon, and would be Tim Duncan. Those three guys are probably you know, got to get locked in a closet and see who comes out. And look, just like anything else, and we always talk about it, if you like Steph, you like Steph. If you don't, you don't. And there are guys that you could put in there that are like, all right, these, these guys are motherfuckers. So that to me is tough. I would say... I, see, like, I have him above Kobe at there. this point. I have him above Kobe at this point, and that might be controversial. I have him based on... I, I have him based on Championships. His numbers we stated last last week. Circle back for those Kobe fans. His numbers are better in the playoffs. Um, Steph's are even rebounding, which is you scratch your head at. But Steph changed a game. He's literally changed a game. Like the and and for better and worse. Like you got high school kids launching threes from half court. Right. Um, he's got. It's just schemes, adjustments, they just don't don't affect him. And that's why I think he's, he's, he's in that top 10 because you can – every team's scheming to stop him and he still goes out there and has these kind of performances and numbers, whereas I think that there are a few guys at times in that top 10 that needed to, you know – I mean, those games where Kobe shot the ball horribly and just kept going, whereas I think Steph's just got that balance of maybe, you know – Okay, I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna really drag the defense out and make my teammates better. So I, I mean, I I just think as as a whole, he's changed a game with the way he shoots the ball for, for history for the history of the game. Like there's no one like him. Whereas some of these other guys in the top ten are like for like. Like you, you compare like a Hakeem and Shaq, dominant big men. You know different skill sets, but did they you know? Shaq changed the game with strength. He can change it with skill, but Steph's just on a whole other level as far as that goes. So that's what I grade as well. But it is it is a controversial debate. Yeah, I agree. No, I totally. And, and what I why I put why I like Kobe so much and why I like MJ so much and why I like Elijah one so much. You know, guys like that they dominated on both ends of the floor. Like Steph did change the game. You're absolutely correct. And this is where like Larry Bird when when, when people start comparing like Kobe and Larry. Like Larry, first of all, I mean, he's one of the most gifted players that did more with less than I've ever seen as far as athletic ability. Um, but like Kobe, 
being like 11 time first team all defense, you know, or, or all defensive. I don't know if he was first team all 11, but like how he dominated the game on both sides of the floor. And, and Elijah Wan changed it offensively for bigs, being able to face up and do some of the things he did. And he also was a very dominating defensive player as well. Look, like, like you said, Bogues, you have Curry in there. I don't, but I don't like, I don't think that, I don't think you putting them in there like you're like, what? It's not like it's not like you said put Seth Curry in there or something. No offense to Seth, but you know what I'm saying. Mm. Like you're you're putting a dominating player who changed the game. And and at this point, it's all hey, what do you think versus what I think? And it is what it is. But I think he like if he's not in there, he's very close. Like I said, I think he's like the last three out, you know, would be him, Elajuan, him, Elajuan, and Duncan. And then you just got to pick what you value most. And yeah. Yeah. The metric uh, is then, is it championships? Is it numbers? Yeah. I get you. I mean, yeah, I just, I yeah. just, I just think based on, he's not in that conversation enough, put it that way. So I think I'd like to see him at least yeah, be, hey, be discussed not, in that conversation. He's not. And I'll tell you what, what he does in, you know, what he's been doing in his career is very Jordan-esque, you know, as far as like, you just watch him in awe. You know, some guys score 40 on 38 shots, but like the shots that he makes, the plays that he makes, of course, you're not going to see much defensive highlights, but what he does offensively is very Jordan-esque. It's just like you just, you're in awe sometimes of what he can do. So I, I agree. Like, I don't think he does get spoken enough about, you know, being in the all-time greats like that. But yeah, he is, he is I mean, he's a pleasure to watch and I'm glad that we're going to have him for a few more years. Okay, and I have I have one for you, pro. Let's snuck up on you. Oh shit! Being being the yeah. Boston crony that you are, I'm gonna ask you this one. But, 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 yeah, but you've been very critical of Golden State over the years. But go ahead, I digress. <laughs> I have. I was on Draymond on this podcast. He might send me a message. Um, fact or fake news, pro? Brad Stevens' legacy is affected if the Celtics win a championship. Uh, fake news. I don't think that the media is going to attack him like that. And He's the GM who made the moves that made them a championship team. Now, he didn't get them the main players. Ainge did that. But he made those trades to get Horford. He made those moves at All-Star break to get White and get, you know, get some guys out of town. So, yes, it does get affected because most of the same team was there. I don't think the media attacks him like that because they love him like that. So I don't, I, I do not think he gets affected. Does some people in barbershops start making that fucking, that, that sort of putting two to two get together on that? Yeah, I think so. But I don't think the media is going to attack him like that. Well, what do you think can. though? But what do you think? Do oh, you think his legacy think? should be affected based on the fact that he couldn't get this essentially the same roster to a final? Yeah, I think it's, I, I think when you're talking about it, that he couldn't get those guys, even though it's, even though you have limited control over like guys attitudes, as far as like how they see the game and how to be winning players. Yes. It does to me affect his legacy in the sense that, you know, a first year coach got those guys to do it. Even if it was Marcus smart or whoever doing it behind the scenes, or maybe, maybe them just looking themselves in the mirror. But I do think that like, look, he was able to do it and he wasn't at the end. Hey, look, Brad Stevens had a lot of, uh, a lot of accolades made it a Eastern Conference Finals multiple times, never was able to sort of get over the hump, but um, he did do well, but he just couldn't get the, he, especially Tatum, he couldn't get Tatum to buy in to be a winning player yet. And maybe it just wasn't the right stage of Tatum's career to do that. 
but it doesn't matter. I mean, you just sort of, you got to coach what's in front of you and he just couldn't get him on that page. And, um, that, that to me, I think it affects his coaching for sure. A, a little bit. I, I think, think it, it does. In fact, I think it does to, to an extent this question marks asked because it's relatively the same roster. Yes, they are further on, but it's just an interesting one that someone brought up to me. So shout out for that, that DM on Instagram. I think it was a valid fact or fake news. I liked it. So, that is it, Pro. Another week. I'm looking forward to these games. Uh, one of them, I've got a dentist on Friday, which I'm pretty pissed about, and I can't get out of this damn dentist because I've delayed it so many times. So I'm going to disconnect from the world and speed home at the speed limit, of course, and try to watch it delayed. Um, and I bet you some arsehole will call or text me and ruin it for me. So that's my journey this week, but I'm looking forward to these games, Pro. But uh, have a great week, and we'll see you all next week. See you guys later.